I'd like to talk to you this morning about the Apostle Paul's prescription for peace. I'm sure most of us, all of us, have walked into this place worried or anxious about something, carrying anxiety into this room. Whether it's we're facing a health issue, we've received a diagnosis, we're waiting on a diagnosis. Maybe it's a relationship issue in our family, within our marriage, among friends, there's tension. Maybe it's money issues. We don't have enough to feel secure for the future. We as human beings live in a fallen world and we are wrestling constantly, I think, with anxiety and concern. At an individual level, things provoke anxiety. Then we think about what's happening in our world as we look at the news, the nation, and globally, and more and more anxiety. I'm not going to go on anymore because I don't want to raise our blood pressure anymore. We need to know what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in Philippians chapter 4. Two times he mentions peace. The peace of God, verse 7, which surpasses all understanding. That it would guard your mind and heart in Christ Jesus. And the image that he's using there when he says guard your mind and heart is like a sentinel of soldiers that protects a city from invasion. He's saying that the peace of God can be so powerful in your life that it will protect your mind and heart in Christ Jesus from invasion, from destruction. And then at the end of this passage, he says in verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace, God himself, who is the God of peace, will be with you. And so I want to look at what the Apostle Paul is saying here in Philippians 4 because I know I need peace. I need an antidote to my anxiety. And we have a prescription here. And if there's anything that you take away from this sermon, it's simply when you're feeling anxious and overwhelmed with worry and concern, go to Philippians 4. And pray through this passage of Scripture and try to put into practice what the Apostle Paul is teaching here. So let's look at what he says. And I, I want to draw out four things in this prescription for peace. First of all, it comes at the end of verse 5 when he simply says, The Lord is at hand. Remember, in your anxiety, in your worry, the Lord is near. He's so near that he's at hand next to you. The Lord is at hand. What a difference it makes to know that as we go through anxiety provoking situations. The risen Christ, the living Lord, is with us. I mean, when you're going through a difficult situation in your life. Isn't it a comfort to know if you have a friend or a loved one who can come alongside you and they demonstrate compassion and care? 
It's a comfort to have a person like that in your life as you go through difficult times. Even better if they're compassionate and competent and they can help you with your troubles and your problems. And the Apostle Paul is saying to this church at Philippi, I want you to remember that God is with you in Christ. God is all competent. He's the creator and sustainer of the universe and he is with you. God is all compassion and he's revealed that in Jesus, his son. So remember, you're not alone. The Lord is near. And I think the other thing that Paul's picking up here is this idea of the return of Christ. This is a major theme in Philippians. That Christ is going to come again. And uh, Christ's return is closer now, today, than it was yesterday. There's this day coming, and we, we see it in our other readings, this day that's referred to in the Bible as the day of the Lord. And in our gospel reading, Jesus pictures it as a wedding feast. Um, the wedding feast where God is going to gather his children. Now, Jesus is warning his hearers that if they reject, he's warning the religious elite of his day that if they reject him, they're going to be rejected from this feast. But he does say that this day is coming of a wedding feast. And then he's picking up from the passage from Isaiah, this image in the Old Testament of a feast. This is the day of the Lord. It's going to be like this great feast, Isaiah 25 says. And I love the description of this feast. Verse 6, Isaiah 25. It's going to be a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. That sounds good. And then he comes back to it again. A, 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 a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. It's going to be the day of the Lord, this great feast on the mountain of the Lord. And on this mountain, God is going to swallow up death forever. This week, I attended two funerals of people who followed Christ. They were occasions to celebrate their life. But what a comfort it was to know that in Christ, the, death, the, the sting of death has been removed. And God has swallowed up death. And so as we go through difficulty in our life, we don't go through it as if we have no hope. As if this life is the only hope that we have. No, one day we're going to feast with the Lord. And his people. And it's going to be in a place free of sadness and suffering and anxiety. And the Lord will wipe every tear from their face, he says. So remember, the Lord is at hand. He is with us now and he promises in the future this great feast for his people. And then Paul says, as you think about these anxious things, pray about them. Pray about everything you're anxious about. Don't be anxious about anything, he says in verse 6. Well, let's stop there for just a second. I mean, because that's a, that's a difficult thing to conceive. How can we go through life not being anxious of anything? Does Paul really mean that we should never experience the emotion of anxiety? I don't think so. I don't think Paul is saying that I want you to go through life with this stoical detached attitude where you're numb 
to your emotions. It's natural to feel anxiety. In fact, there are places in Paul's writings where he says he's anxious, where he's anxious for the church. In Philippians, there's a passage even in Philippians where he talks about his anxiety for people that he cares about. This is good anxiety, anxiety that's motivated by love and care and concern for other people. So anxiety is a natural emotion. And I would say it's a God-given response, a God-given response to the brokenness and pain in our life and in the world. The question is, how do we respond to the anxiety? David Powelson's a Christian counselor, and he's got a little booklet on going through anxiety as a Christian that I found helpful. And he says in this book that think of anxiety, the emotion of anxiety, the feeling of anxiety as that red light that comes on on your dashboard when you're driving down the road. Don't you hate seeing that red light? Oh, now I've got to deal with this issue. But it's good to have the red light because if you didn't have that signal, at some point your car may break down in the middle of the road or on a highway. So we're happy the red light is there, as difficult as it is sometimes to to take the time to, to take care of the problem. And he says, David Powelson says, that's like anxiety. It's a signal that something is is going wrong. And now the question is, how do you respond to that in a godly way? And Paul says, you pray about it. But in everything, verse 6, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's important, that with thanksgiving bit. Eucharisto, that's the Greek word there. We get Eucharist from that word. Eucharisto, with thanksgiving. It is, as we say at the Eucharist, it is right and good to give thanks to the Lord, always and everywhere. It is right because He's worthy of praise and thanksgiving. As we thank God for all that he's done in our life, as we look back on our life and we remember what God has done for us individually and what he's done for us corporately and what God has done for us in his son, Jesus Christ, it's good and right to give him praise and thanksgiving. And we do that in the context of prayer. And when we do that, that cultivates more trust in our heart to deal with what we're going through in the moment because we're coming from this place of thanksgiving and gratitude, recognizing he's been good to us and everything that we receive that's good is from his hand. And so we are coming to a heavenly father who cares. He cares about what we're going through now. And so we can cast all of our anxiety upon him, knowing that he cares for us. And so this is uh, the antidote to anxiety. In the context of thanksgiving, letting God know what's troubling you. If you have to make a list, make a list and bring it before the Lord. And see if what Paul is saying isn't true, that the peace of God will break into your life. In fact, a few weeks ago, I had to do this. A couple of weeks ago, things were building up, thinking about various situations and relationships and things were building up and the red light was starting to flash. Now, for me, the red light is irritability. When I start to get really irritable and I start to grumble and complain, if I'm not grumbling and complaining out loud internally, I'm grumbling and complaining. And sometimes my wife will say, you need to go away and pray. 
<laughs> She's been known to do that. But this time I knew that I needed to go away and pray. And so I told Josie, I said, you know what? After the kids, we put them to bed. I'm going to the church and I've got to pray about these things. Because the anxiety was just building and building and building. And I came into the sanctuary and I prayed. And I prayed for a long time. I prayed and I prayed until I just told God everything that was troubling me. And... um, I'm still seeing answers to that time of prayer. I'm still seeing answers now. I'm watching and seeing how God is responding and working in my life. Now, I don't say that to brag about my prayer life because uh, the Lord knows I need to do that a lot more often than I do. I don't do it as much. I don't pray like that as I, as I ought to pray. But I'm testifying to what Paul is saying here about the peace of God. And I know many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I've heard your stories too. That when you unburden yourself before the Lord, the peace of God acts like a, a guard over your mind and heart in Christ Jesus. So whatever is troubling you, don't hold it in. Don't hold it back. Unburden yourself before the Lord. And you'll know this peace. Now, when it, when it comes to praying about your troubles, Paulson says this in his book on anxiety. I, I like this, what he says. He says, he, he uses a, a catchphrase, uh, a motto from the environmental movement. He says, think globally, act locally. When it comes to praying about your troubles, globally, remember the global picture. Remember the big picture. Your God is sovereign. Your God is in control. Your God is ruling and sustaining this universe. And yes, it's a messy fall in place, but your God is in control. He knows the beginning from the end, and he is working all things out according to his picture, his purposes, rather. And you don't know the big picture, but you know this God. That's the global thing that you need to realize. Think globally. And then locally, what small thing can I do? To make a contribution in the midst of my anxiety and concern. What small step, what act of love, what positive thing can I do to contribute somehow to the glory of God and the good of other people? So, for example, you might be worried about. I worry about this, my children and their future. And will they be following the Lord in 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now? You might be worrying about that for your children or your grandchildren. Well, I I can't do anything right now to guarantee where they're going to be with the Lord 10, 15, 20 years out from now. I really can't do that. I can entrust them to the Lord, and that's what I do. But then as I pray about that, God may speak in, in, to me about how I need to interact with my children and do something small. Okay, you, you need to reconnect with this child. I've got a lot of balls in the air when it comes to my family. I got six of them i got to be concerned about. But this one, you need special attention. Or God may say, well, you know, you need to, Teach them this truth that you've discovered about me or this truth that's in your word. So it's a small thing I can do. The global picture, I don't have control over. The big picture, God does. But there's small things that I can do. And as we pray about these things we're concerned about, that's what we see God doing in our life oftentimes is is prompting us in the midst of our worry and anxiety to do something that contributes to His glory and the good of other people. So, Here's a prescription for peace. Pray about all your concerns. And then Paul says, think about good things. Think about good things. He lists virtues here. 
that should fill up our mind. Whatever is true, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, think about these things. When I was in college, the first year in college at Christian school, our teachers drilled this mantra into us, all truth is God's truth. And what they wanted to convey to us, and a lot of us had come from backgrounds that were kind of sheltered. And um, although it wasn't said explicitly when I was growing up, the, the implication was because we lived sort of a sheltered life, if it doesn't have the Christian label, stay away from it. There's nothing good that can come from it. But, but our professors taught us all truth is God's truth. They wanted to open us up so that we would see the truth of God in, in various places, in literature, in art, in music in the natural world, to see God's truth and beauty. And I think Paul would agree with that. And Philippians 4.8 provides a basis for this. Whatever is excellent, whatever is admirable, whatever is lovely, fill your mind with those things. But it also calls for discrimination, doesn't it, this principle? Because it means that you've got to filter out the things that are not <laughs> virtues. That are not virtuous. And there's so much in our culture that passes for art or for entertainment. That's the exact opposite of the things that Paul is talking about here. So instead of loveliness, there's a lot of ugliness. And instead of truth, there's a lot of falsehood. And instead of purity, there's a lot of impurity. And there's a lot of darkness that's celebrated in our culture today. And I call that stuff junk food for the mind. I tell that to my kids. Junk food for the mind. Junk food for the soul. You know, sometimes I get a craving for junk food. <laughs> I get a craving for a big cheeseburger and large order of salty fries and a sugary Coke. But after I take it in, I always regret it later. And that's kind of how it is, I think, with sometimes with some of the things that our culture wants to feed us. We have to watch out for the junk food of the mind and of the soul, because it can fill us with unsettling thoughts and anxiety and worry and dark moods. We have to be discriminating. And Paul says, instead, I want you to think about the things that are commendable, that are excellent, that are good. And then finally, put into practice the truth of the gospel. So we're to to remember that the Lord is near, the Lord is at hand. We're to pray about everything we're anxious about. We're to think about good things. And then there, we're to practice the things of the gospel. Verse 9, whatever you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, whatever you've learned and received and heard. So that is um, the truth of the gospel. That's what he's talking about. The things that have been passed on to him about Christ. He is now passing on to them. He's teaching them the basics of the faith and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then he says, and whatever you've seen in me, practice these things. So don't just think about them, put them into practice and look at my life and how I've lived as a reflection of the gospel of Christ, as an imitation of Christ. And then I want you to live that way. And then the God of peace will be with you. So Paul knew these uh, Philippians quite well. He was there long enough in Philippi to establish this church. He established this church on his second missionary journey. It was an important church, the first church on the European continent, strategic church. 
And you can read about it in Acts where Paul is interacting with this church. And they got to see how Paul lived out his faith. They got to see how Paul imitated Christ. Uh, For example, as we've talked about, we've been going through Philippians for a while now. Paul talks about how Jesus made himself a servant. He emptied himself and made himself a servant. He had this divine prerogative, this divine position, but then he became a servant and he humbled himself. And they saw, the Philippian church saw that Paul himself did that as well. Paul was, as he says earlier, a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was at the top of his game. He was part of the religious elite in his culture. But he gave up that position to become a servant to Christ and his people. Paul imitated Jesus' service. Paul suffered like Jesus. He imitated the suffering of Jesus for the sake of the gospel. Now, you know, just remember that when Paul writes this, he's not writing this in an ivory tower detached from suffering. He's not writing this in a wood paneled office where it's cozy and comfortable like where I write my sermons. Paul is writing this in a prison cell, in a Roman prison cell, which was a dark, damp, stinky place. And he's facing the prospect of the end of his life as he writes this. But he's saying I have found an inner tranquility that transcends my circumstances and he's given us the secret of that inner tranquility. The peace of God that passes all understanding. Knowing that the Lord is with me, I can cast all my cares upon him. I'm thinking about good things, the things that are excellent and praiseworthy. And he is somebody who put into practice what he believed. I think sometimes there are people in the church who maybe they don't say this out loud, but internally they think this Christian life is not really working for me. The Christian faith isn't really working for me. And I think sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes it's because they're not really practicing the faith. They're not putting into practice what they believe in their minds. It's not sinking down to their heart. It's not impacting how they live their life. And so they don't have this inner peace, this inner twinkle tranquility that the apostle is talking about here. Put it into practice and he says, the God of peace will be with you. And I remember, I'm reminded about something about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a great German pastor arrested by the Nazis at the end of, towards the end of the war, war, World War II. He was involved in a plot to assassinate Hitler and he was assassinated by the Nazis, or he was killed by the Nazis, executed at, towards the end of the war. But when he was in prison, now Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a man of great intellect. He was raised in kind of aristocratic family, very well positioned, and a brilliant mind. But he wanted to put into practice his faith, and one of his, one of his themes was Jesus was a man for others. He was a servant to others. Therefore, I ought to be a servant to others as well. So he tried to put that into practice, even in prison at the end of his life. And some prisoners wrote about their experience of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. After he died, they wrote letters to his family. And they talked about the kind of man that Bonhoeffer was in in prison. Now, Bonhoeffer also wrote letters from prison where he talks about his internal struggles. 
But he wrestled with God. That's what I'm talking about. Wrestling with God in the difficulty. And one man said this about Bonhoeffer. He said he did a great deal of help for those of us who were depressed or anxious. He was like a rock. His soul shone in the darkness of our prison. Why? Because he was this man of prayer who sought to follow the Lord and to put into practice his faith. And he was a blessing to others. And he had this inner peace and tranquility. He found the God of peace was with him. So friends, this is what God wants for us in our life. This is what God has for us in Jesus Christ. This is what the Apostle Paul experienced. He's saying, this is what has worked for me. Take the prescription. Let's live this out in our life. Amen.